Welcome to Let's Face the Facts. I'm David Almeida, and I'm your host for this rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. I'm an actor in Orlando, Florida, and every week I invite an actor or artist friend to watch an episode with me. Join us as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. having some coffee time together. Hey guys, welcome back. It's another week, another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. I have so many freaking deadlines going on with some uh, work things. Remember work? That was a thing that I didn't do for a year. And then I suddenly have a whole fuck ton just dumped on me. So um, yeah, while I'm adjusting to not being a a woman of leisure these days, I'm uh, trying to crank out these podcasts and deliver them on time. Meaning... I am already in the studio with my guest. I'm not recording this bumper in a separate session. So I'm here with Stephen J. Miller, sometimes known as Stephen Miller, sometimes referred to as simply Steve. Steve is a published author. Steve is a playwright. Steve has done acting. He is a communications corporate development training leadership person guy. (laughs) Did I get all the words? That's really clear. Did I get all the words in there? Yeah, that... yeah, you forgot. Organizational and robust. Organizational and... psychological development. Right, robust and, R- robust and synergy. And synergy and paradigm. Um, uh, reaching out. Yes. Uh, partnering. Yes. Uh, so, okay, good. We got all those words out there. That is what Steve does for his work work, but he's also very artistical, extremely talented, and also has the great distinction of being able to call himself my best friend. I'm so lucky. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this week, Steve and I watched Season 6, Episode 22, The Last Drive-In. The original air date was March 13th of 1985. Even though we're in the studio, I still have to have my little interstitial music. So, let's face the facts with Steve Miller. Hey, Steve. There you are. Hi. Hi. <laughs> You've been sitting there the whole time. Crazy. We just watched this episode, and this was certainly a, a show, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. A, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, and, it ain't Shakespeare. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Now, I'm trying to remember when you were here last. What show? Season two, episode two or three. It was way it was a while ago. It was it was a while ago. Well, you were so good. I decided to wait four years to in, sure <laughs> invite you back. Yeah, and uh, so we we yeah we watched this one. This is written by Paul Haggis and Kimberly Hill and Stuart Wolpert. Three writers. That's very for weird. this three writers. It took yeah. three writers to get this. <laughs> I mean, it's okay, but I mean, yeah. Um, that is uncommon, certainly. Typically, we have seen... I mean, typically, it's one writer per episode. Sometimes we get the... Um, Paul Haggis of the Scottish food Haggises. Exactly. Gotcha. His family invented it. Nice. Yeah. And then they went on to make shitty Academy Award-winning films. Like Crash. And... 
million dollar baby which isn't a terrible film it's just two films smashed together crashes the suck ass one yeah yeah i i don't remember minding million dollar baby that much but um yeah crash we saw together i remember looking at each other in the middle of that going what i remember turning to you afterwards in the lobby and going david you know what i just learned racism is bad It's so true. It was a terrible film. And, then and there were so many other good films that year. I mean, everyone always says, you know, Brokeback Mountain. But honestly, Good Night and Good Luck, uh, Walk the Line. Mm-hmm. Those are the two. I mean, if if Brokeback had lost to Good Night and Good Luck or Walk the Line, I would have been okay. Yeah. Those are obviously great films. But yeah, it was like living our own personal nightmare as we sat and watched it sweep and win all these awards. And we're like... What? And that's where I learned, honestly, that's where I learned that the Oscars are really about how many acting votes you get, because there were so many actors in that movie, and how many producer votes you get, because there were so many producers in that film. And Brokeback never was going to win. It only had like seven equity contracts and two producers or three producers. Yeah. So it was never going to win. I think you mean SAG, but yeah. Yeah, sorry, SAG. Yeah. You're absolutely right. The Screen Actors Guild. But it's really about, it's a really, you know, the Oscars, which are coming up, little laggy this year but they're 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 a good lesson and these are people voting for themselves and they're going to vote for the things that gives most of them the work yeah and uh and fulfills most of their fantasies like we've discussed before with american beauty yes where matthew and i have talked at length about how old white guys have been running Hollywood since the beginning of time. That is a creeper film. That is a creeper that film. That is a fucking creeper film. And, and and then he's a creeper who ends up being a good guy because he doesn't completely fulfill his creeper fantasies? Yeah. You know what? Pat yourself on the back that you didn't have sex with an underage teenager yeah. that you'd been lusting after for months. You're so brave. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, there we go. That was our cinematic diversion, ladies and gentlemen. But let's get back to this episode, The Last Drive-In. Um, so Steve has been on this show before. You did grow up watching The Facts of Life. We've talked about it. You're familiar with the show and the characters and all that. And uh, this is the time, Steve, at the beginning of the show, where I put my guest on the spot and ask you if you would please provide a one-to-two-sentence synopsis of the entire episode, similar to what you might find in a TV guide. Oh, um... Natalie works to stop the closure of a drive-in we will definitely wish we had during COVID. Because <laughs> weren't you thinking of that? Uh, yeah. What you're thinking, wait, they're going to close this drive-in and 30 years down the road, or 25 years down the road, we'll be like, wish we had a drive-in. <laughs> yeah. Well, 25, 35, is it? This is, this is 85. 35. So 35. 35. How the fuck is this 35 years? I know. And uh, it is funny how drive-in... Uh, theaters for films and uh, drive-in theater, drive-up, drive-around theater has become a, a thing as a result of COVID. I'm not sure that if any... Uh, that would be an interesting thing to, to research, and I'm too lazy to do that. If new ones opened? Well, not if new ones opened, but were there any old drive-ins that still existed that they went, oh my God, we can refurbish this and bring it back? Mm-hmm. Do Are there any old-school drive-ins that as a result of the Reopened. pandemic reopened 40 years later that would be fascinating to find out um but in this case uh yeah calling it the last drive-in as the title is i think fascinating because this was the era when that was happening i remember it very distinctly when i was a teenager 
that there was this shift going on. And, you know, considering drive-ins, they feature in the movie Grease, which took place in the 50s. They had certainly been around for a while and run their course. And as we go along, we're going to talk more about some of the contributing factors to that, because the episode does... Mention all of them. Yeah. And and it's kind of... It's an interesting little historical nugget with the... Well, and, you know, honestly, it really was kind of a flimsy plot. Each person kind of wants their own thing. There's one plot twist in there. Mm -hmm. It was a flimsy plot to hang a bunch of jokes, which was fine Mm -hmm. because it worked. I mean, it was just meant to be kind of distracting entertainment that existed in its time. You know, drive-ins were closing. Like you said, a lot of other historical things were affecting it. And that's kind of a, the hair was there. The style was there, everything. I mean, it was kind of, it's kind of a bit of a time capsule. Yeah. Very, very true. This episode, for the facts of life, to me, had almost a Seinfeldian... It did. It did. ...component in Because each of them wanted their own thing and, you know... Yeah, they were all being extremely selfish and self-centered. Yeah. And uh, it's just like Seinfeld. It's them walking around a garage when they can't find their car. It's them waiting in line to get in a club or... Right. It was them wandering around the snack bar of this drive-in theater. Of a drive-in movie. This could have been... I was, it was interesting because there were a few things that happened, but pretty much, well, it was, you know, the set to get to the snack or to the to the drive-in and then just the snack bar. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty much a bottle episode. It we is. really... We could have almost somehow taken the first scene, which takes place at throw the house. It, throw it away. And throw it away, or play it in front of, like, in, in, a, in theatrical elements. It would just be played in a spotlight or before a, the curtain opens up to show the new toward, set. Toward the wings. In the wings, yes. So, uh, we start the show. Uh, interesting thing we've had the last few weeks is this extra text credit at the top of the episode for Ryan Cassidy in the role of Kevin and Mackenzie Aston in the role of Andy. Well, this episode, they're not in it. They don't get a credit. And we also don't have anything like the exterior shot of Ed and Edibles. We don't have any music. This is back to sort of an old school mm-hmm. facts of life. And it's so weird because this uh, this season, season six, they're doing so many experimental things and playing around. And this whole episode is, is very much in that vein. But uh, as well as the structure and the aesthetic of the show are metamorphing right now and this is one where okay we're, we're dealing with this other set this show taking place somewhere in a foreign land we have no charlotte ray this episode and uh there was no charlotte ray oh the look on your face well because i was running through that very first scene and i thought did she pass through at some point and she didn't no this is actually one of six episodes that charlotte ray does not appear in and what's going on here is... She's having hot flashes. <laughs> for the last 12 to 15 years, yeah. Um, but the deal is, Charlotte Ray was already testing the waters to see if she could make an exit from the show. She didn't want to do it forever. She knew that she had other things she wanted to do, but she didn't want to leave the show without it being strong enough to exist without her. So, this season, they filmed them in one order, but the broadcast order... They completely shuffled it. So basically, of the 26 episodes filmed this season, Charlotte Ray filmed the first 20, and then she begged off, she was done, and they filmed the last six as shows without her, written without her in them. And uh, the deck is shuffled. We have a couple more episodes coming up without her, and then a couple more with her to close out the season. 
Uh, but basically, this is her testing the waters. And, you know, I don't know who all made the decision, TV executives and all that, but she pretty much is in every episode next season. But then beginning of season eight is when she's like, peace out. And did you really miss her? It's like, uh, no. Yeah. No, because by that time, Trudy's got her own thing. Natalie's got her own thing. Blair ends up getting her own thing. And then, you know, Joe kind of ends up kind of revealing her own thing. And they can just operate within that as a plot. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Exactly. So that's what we've got going on with this as far as no credits. We do not have Mrs. Garrett. We don't have Kevin. We don't have Andy. This is as pure an episode as we have had in a long time where it is just the four girls carrying this episode and i think competently and successfully well i mean it's not hard to carry it because it's not incredibly deep no not at all and no honestly it's a sitcom from the 80s it doesn't always need to be a very special episode no right no and they had done so many of those and they're getting too old for that it's like what is it you know what is it gonna be 2d is 16 now yeah so it's like there's no one's left to lose their virginity so we're good well no that does happen in three years yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's crazy don't even get me started so the episode starts in the living room tootie is gathering pillows and blankets we've got to get going because we are going to the drive-in and it's not just any night at the drive-in this is the last night of the blue dell drive-in what a horrible name yeah, what? Where? It sounds like some writer had that stuffed somewhere and it had a memory for that person, and so it got stuck in the episode. Blue Dell Drive-In. Yeah, it's like, ugh. you know, Dell being, you know, like a, a ravine with trees in the forest, the farmer in the Dell. Yeah, kind of a thing. And and why the color blue? Blue implying sad. There is a Blue Dell Drive-In in Irwin, Pennsylvania. Yeah, I bet you one of the writers or producers or someone had something going on there. Yep. And it closed in 1984. Ah, there it is. So I wonder, somebody in that writer's room was still hurt. From Pennsylvania and still mad. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, We do need to talk about some fashion things here. Oh, the hair. Joe, her helmet hair is out of fucking control. But Blair's, I mean, my God, it was almost a, it was almost a mohawk. I mean, it was. It was almost... her her Joe Dirt look, as I call it, because it's all flipped up in the thing and then straight yep. in the back. Um, yeah, Joe has got her helmet hair. She's wearing a t-shirt and then a man button-down shirt, and then an oversized denim. Uh, acid wash acid washed everything denim jacket with yeah. the sleeves rolled up both collars popped. popped fuck yes if there's anything that we can take away from the 80s that is i i mean i don't know anything that demarcates the fashion of the 80s more than the popped collar oh really did that did that ever come back after yeah, it went away? for a little while in the early 2000s when they were doing the layered polo shirt thing. Were they? Yeah, it was a big Ralph Lauren thing. I don't remember. Uh, but Tootie is the taskmaster. Last week she was the taskmaster, and today she's all, we have to leave in six minutes. It's a specific time. we got to get there. This isn't the Tootie I remember. Thank you. I don't know where this came from. This little archetype thing of her having a clipboard and an agenda. This happened last week out of the blue. I mean, I guess it's good they're carrying it over for two weeks, but be that as it but may. You always thought of Natalie as that person. 
The one I think I... Joe is that person. Yeah, and Joe, yeah. Because Joe, as the de facto store manager, I mean, at least this episode, we don't have the issue of who's minding the store because it is a Saturday night. Right. So we know Edna's Edibles would be closed. So Tootie's big thing is that the whole getting to the, the, the drive-in ahead of the crowd is that you need to be in the perfect position with your car so that you can get to and from the snack bar positioned properly so that you can watch the movie while you're walking. That's her big and, deal. And not have a lot of jostling and things with the snacks. And it actually makes sense for the setting, right? Because they are peeking out into the drive and watching the film from the snack bar quite a bit. Yes, though. Um, is the snack bar typically contained in the building where the projector is? I always... Yeah, the projector's in the front, but then the snack bar's kind of around the sides of the okay. back, middle back. Yeah, I asked that because we're we're not quite at the drive-in snack bar set yet. But when we get there, I do have some questions. Uh, but before we get there, Natalie comes down in her pajamas. She's sad because the drive-in's closing. She tried to write some editorials that got printed in the paper. Uh, she does say, it's been our hangout, and tomorrow it's going to be rubble. Do we recall ever the girls talking about going to a drive-in movie? Oh, God, no. And I mean, you're asking for consistency in a yeah. 1980s sitcom. And and I'm driving myself crazy demanding it and wanting it of this show, and I, I do not get it, and I'm going to continuously get less of it as the show goes on. So it'll be interesting to see my mental state by the time we get to the end of season nine. Um. So we've got that. And there are other points in the episode where there's a sense of, oh, we hang out here every Saturday night. This is our place. Except for all the episodes where we were doing something else on a Saturday night. Yeah. <laughs> Except for the episodes where we didn't, which was all of them. Exactly. Um, so then uh, Natalie does say it's part of our disappearing culture, our vanishing youth. Uh, that's a great line. And that does continue that thread well and it's a giggle because they're obviously still in their teens <laughs> exactly uh blair comes down the stairs dressed in a slightly modified blair warner special she doesn't have the a-line skirt and the boots like the dorothy michaels outfits that i've uh, called them out for she's got a little bit more of a pencil skirt she's got dark gray hose on and black pumps looks a little working girl it does yes particularly the solid color red and the, blouse and the shoulder pads the shoulder pads and she has her coat over her arm and her coat is a bright school bus yellow yeah like a mustard of all get-go it's like a bright mustard yellow coat and did you know natalie had the same color coat later did she yeah they, they both have kind of matching coats and you're like i didn't notice that yeah she wow had. But my thing is like with the red of her shirt and the yellow of her coat over her arm, I'm like, so are we going to McDonald's later? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a little bit modified. It's, she still looks like a 45-year-old. She does. Uh, working as a secretary in New York City. Um, but at least the lines are a little bit more modern. And Lisa Welchel is thin and gorgeous. It's those other outfits that I've constantly complained about. It's where this is how they decided they were going to dress her when her weight was up. And she still looked gorgeous. Mm -hmm. But it's like they forgot that they could change that up. I was going to say, this one showed her figure off a bit more. And it was, you know, the cinching at the waist and everything. I thought that was okay. Yeah. No, no, it was. Yeah. And, and the other outfits looked good, too, but it had more of a camouflage component. Oh, gotcha. 
and uh, this this doesn't. So she does look really, really good. So Blair surprises the girls by saying that she's going to be going along. And she seems to feel like it's sort of a, a thing she needs to experience, to mingle with the commoners. Yeah, the masses. And this, this oh, this, this quaint little poor person thing that you people do, and I can, the it's kind unwashed, of... Unwashed. Yeah. Yearning the, to breathe free. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I'm going to, you know, gaze my washed eyes on the unwashed <laughs> masses. <you>. Yeah. <laughs> and so the she's, hoi polloi, as it were. Yeah, and so she's like, ugh, it's just very weird. And so... This and, is kind of... and, and the best part is, to get her into the drive-thru, they admit that they're going to put Blair, Blair Warner, in the trunk. <laughs> and she says, yes. She agrees to it. What? But the, the, I think the, the setup of that is, it's, well, it's the tradition. It's, it's tradition. The, yeah. But why Blair? Why can't someone else? I think it's that that Blair is like, I want to experience this thing. And granted, one of the biggest laughs of the entire episode is Natalie saying, good, you'll be in the trunk. Mm -hmm. And then when you realize, no, she's serious. And it's like, hey, you want to you want to experience this thing? You 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 sneak in in the trunk. But stop me for a second. And we need to check this. And you probably need to Google this. Isn't the trunk. OK, so they're taking Edna's VW. Isn't the trunk the front of the car in a VW? I believe it is. Yeah, so... so, And, and it's tiny. It's, it's tiny, yeah. When they say, what car are we going to take? Number one, I'm glad they ask that because there have been episodes when Blair does have a car and there's somewhere Blair doesn't. Mrs. Garrett does have a VW Beetle Bug. It is a beat. It's not a Jetta. The it's not a Rabbit. It's a front. Beetle. So, yeah, the trunk is in the front of a beetle, and it's And it's about tiny. the size of a caboodle. Yeah, it's like, I don't even know that you could fit a person in there. It's so ridiculous. But um, be that as it may, I'm glad you brought that up, because I did have that in, uh, in my notes. But uh, here's interesting things. We have a lot of, um, how shall I say, uh, ladies loving ladies moments. Yeah. And one of them is, as Blair is talking about her desire to experience this this thing that you people do that I've never done, Joe puts her arm around Blair and says, Don't worry, Blair. I'll take you through it. <laughs> Cue diesel engine. Yeah, yeah. Joe wants to teach you a few things and show you some new experiences, Blair. But yeah, again, today, four grown women... Because face it, Tootie at 16, she's a girl. She's fully grown at this yes. point. A 16-year-old girl is about the size she's going to be. We have four fully grown women deciding that the best option to go to a drive through is a Volkswagen Beetle. When I would argue any other car on the road would be a better choice. Than a Volkswagen Beetle. <laughs> Uh, spacing, yeah, room room wise, leg room wise. Um, so then we go to the snack bar. We begin the passage of time. And what do we use, Steve, as a narrative device to uh, demarcate the passing of time? 
the Woody Woodpecker film. Ding, ding. Which I was amazed, and it was like one of those 1940, 19, late 1940s ones? It was 40s, say? yeah. Yeah, it was old Woody Woodpecker. Yeah, OG Woody Woodpecker. Yeah, it was serious, yeah. It was yeah. Like, and, and apparently they got the rights, which we'll talk a little bit more about later, I'm sure. I did watch that with interest because we know that anytime you use a, a song, particularly an original recording of a song, royalties must be paid. And I can't imagine it's any easier or better or cheaper to use a clip of an actual film or a, a video. Now, this this Woody Woodpecker cartoon, it might be in the public domain. Or it might be owned by the same studio that was filming Facts of Life. That is also possible, yes. And uh, so, but this is Woody Woodpecker back when Mel Blanc used to do the voice of it which is very early. Woody Woodpecker uh, was, uh, I think it first hit in 1940 is when he started. And previous to that in the 30s, Mel Blanc had been working on Bugs Bunny and earlier versions of Bugs Bunny, including a, a character called Happy Rabbit. Yep. Remember Happy Rabbit? Yeah. Only a couple of cartoons with Happy Rabbit in it. And the original Daffy Duck all of those characters share the same laugh that <laughs> oh, they do with Woody Woodpecker. Yeah, it eventually became Woody Woodpecker's signature, right. but that is a Mel Blanc creation back in the Warner Brothers Tex Avery days. Too bad they couldn't copyright that. Oh, I'm telling you. So, uh, yeah, it's just interesting, a little deep dive, because when I watched that clip, I thought, which did come first? Did, it, did Daffy Duck come first? You know, back when Daffy Duck was fucking batshit crazy yeah, just loony as hell and hilarious i yeah i like i that. missed that daffy duck because the 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 one that constantly gets crappy things happening to him and his bill getting knocked off and all that man i like the crazy one that used to do shit that just would just blow yeah. people out of the water mm -hmm. but that's it that's that's the tex avery influence before right. he went over to mgm and did tom and jerry uh, so, yeah, so we get this clip of Woody Woodpecker, which tells us we are now at the drive-in. And then we arrive at the set that will be the set for the rest of the episode, the snack bar of the Blue Dell Drive-In. Nothing there doesn't sound lesbian, by the way. <laughs> Say the that snack bar of the Blue Dell Drive-In. That <laughs> <laughs> just doesn't sound... Uh-huh. <laughs> so, with that... We meet the set of the drive-in, and I've got some questions here. Am I right that downstage, meaning closest to the audience, on the left side of the screen is the men's room? We know that because Natalie, right. when she gets this petition thing going, follows a guy trying to get him to sign, and you hear, whoa, and she realizes she's walked into the, the men's, men's room. room. The uh, right side is the women's room. Right side is the women's room. So we now have this sort of centering, okay, left, right. There's a symmetry here. Mm -hmm. Snack bar is in the back, farther upstage. away, upstage, uh, far away from the audience. But there are two entrances and exits on both sides. It seems to me like they keep entering and exiting on the left side of the screen anytime they're dealing with the movie. And they keep entering and exiting the screen on the right when they're dealing with the car and the parking lot. See, and that's a little weird because... What I remember from drive-ins, and I grew up with them in the Midwest, mm -hmm. is that, okay, so you'd have the building here, and the screen would be where you are, right? Yeah. And there would be a path over here that you would go into to get the snacks, and then out to get the snacks. Usually, one restroom was here, one restroom was here, and they're usually from the outside, but you could have them from the inside. And then there was, like, a stairwell up in between them up to the projection room. Yeah. 
Yeah, what, what but might... the stairwell's on the opposite wall of this one. Is it on the it's, yeah? Because when he comes up, out, yeah, it's not behind is, the snack. Is bar. there even a stairs? I think he no, just no, comes out of the, the yeah, double doors, doors, yeah, kind of a thing, yeah. So what I'm thinking is where we are standing, where when the camera is center, I feel like we're in the building where the projection is. Either the screen is ahead of us, and the cars are to the side and behind us, because they'll do it or, on a slope, or the opposite, which or is... the opposite. So, but the idea is that this would be symmetrically in the middle of where this is happening in in one way or the other. But, yeah, Either. I don't see why they go over here to see the movie and over here to see the cars. Right. Like, that this is like sense. a movie theater. Like there's an actual walk-in theater on the left and the parking lots on the right. No. What I could imagine is maybe if the girls did get the primo spot right in the center, you could come and go from either side. Like, it doesn't matter which side we come and go, it's equidistant. Mm -hmm. But there, there seems to be a consistency in the blocking that creates an inconsistency in location, set, and yeah. where we are within Snack the driving theater. still in the middle, yeah, which still makes it lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, uh, just pointing that out, these are the things that keep me awake at night. So, uh, other things of note in this snack bar set is uh, there are movie posters everywhere. Did you notice the movie posters? Yes, I did. Did you notice the Amer or the English version of the Cinema Paradiso one in the background? It just said Cinema Paradise. <laughs> uh, Steve Miller, I believe you are incorrect. Okay. The movie is called Paradise. It is a movie from 1982 starring Willie Ames. It was like a knockoff of the Blue Lagoon. Oh, two... that's why it has all that lighting. Yeah, it's called Paradise. And I've found all the movie posters on the walls of this set. I've found them online. I'll post them on the website, on the webpage. So it wasn't almost Paradise. We're knocking on Heaven's door. No. Okay. Yeah. And it was not Paradise by the dashboard lights. lights. Yeah. Neither. It was just called Paradise. Which apparently it wasn't, or we would have remembered. It, exactly. It's basically like the Blue Lagoon, but I think two kids get stranded in the desert, but end up on a beach and hang out naked. And... Are you sure that's not called Shutter Island? <laughs> Roll credits. <laughs> Let's make a million dollars, people. Um, other movie posters. Did you notice anything else? Some were very, very prominent and visible, and some I had to do some digging, but I found them all. Do you remember any of the others? I do, but I can't place one of them. And I think it was kind of ironic that I saw it. The the one that I'll say relates to this. We have Paradise, the Willie Ames movie from 1982. Mm -hmm. You did hear me right. That is a three-year-old film. That's the poster they decided to keep up in the in the lobby. Not, oh, The Empire Strikes Back or... Or even something older, considering some other things we're going to talk yeah, about here. Yeah, yeah. Or just classic movies, or even Star Wars. Why not? Right. Um, so it would be fascinating to see if these were all... I'm sure these are all movies connected to whatever studio. They that, pulled them from props. Yeah, that they, Facts they of bombed, Life... bombed, at least let's use Paradise for something. Yeah, because fa Facts of Life had to be in bed with some sort of a studio uh, to be able to be produced and all that. So that, But uh, Willie Ames is one of the stars of Paradise. This is another Willie Ames movie. Him and Scott Bayo in the... Also, 1982 film, Zapped. Z-A-P-T. 
Nope. Z-A-P-P-E-D exclamation ah, point. Ah, I don't remember this one then. It's where two boys are doing a scientific experiment at their high school and they end up Weird with, science. With telekinetic powers. Yeah. It's like another version of weird science. Okay. Yeah. So we have Paradise and Zapped. We have Eddie and the Cruisers. That's the one I saw and I thought, gosh, that's an interesting one to have up there because, okay, never mind. And that's 1983, so this is a two-year-old film. Right. And then we have the one that I saw that I was like, I know, I know this. It's got a girl in a bikini on the beach and the face of the man and the woman on the bottom. And I'm going, I can't see the title and I know I know it. And somehow I did a Google search of woman in a bikini on a movie poster in the 1980s. And among all the shit that came up, the sure thing. Ah. John Cusack. Yeah. And uh, Daphne Zuniga. So that's the one I mistook. I thought that was a John Hughes film, and I thought that might have been an interesting choice, given... Okay. Yeah. No, but I mean, it does have John Cusack in it, so that's why you do it. And then the last one is the most puzzling of all of them. It is a movie called The Bear. It is the on the left side of the screen where the men's room is. It is the farthest most away from the camera. And The Bear... 1984 biopic about Paul Bryant, whose nickname was Bear, who was the coach of the University of Alabama football team who died in 1983. And it stars Gary Busey in the title role. So the Bear is is the, the nickname. And so it's a sports coach biopic. So... And well, yet, were they picking all these films because they were terrible or they somewhat bombed? And yet, here's a, they are in a theater that's going to close that night. I, I don't know because the others were varying levels of successful. Eddie and the Cruisers was successful. Yeah, but I mean, I still remember all the others. I saw the posters. I was like, oh yeah, the short thing, Zapped, Parad. I remember all those movies. I don't remember ever seeing a Scott Baio film except for the crap that he did for television. Yeah, no, Zapped was the two of them, and I feel like. Ali Sheedy is his girlfriend in Zapped. Oh. But yeah, oh, it's a terrible movie. We totally have to watch it. <laughs> um, but The Bear is this, I mean, I've never heard of this. And you could see The Bear in the title. And it took me some digging to find it because so many movies have bear in the title. But on the the movie poster, it's a close-up big head-filling-the-poster image of Gary Busey wearing, like, a, a houndstooth woven henry higgins plaid fedora hat and then down below is a picture of a man and a woman side by side dancing it looks like it might be a scene out of titanic at the ball or something so i'm looking at it going this almost looks like a sherlock holmes movie or something you want to watch all these films don't you (laughs) they've been forgotten by time they're probably crap and you want to watch them i honestly well i've watched all of them i've seen them all the bear not the bear. That's that I draw the line. But here is the last thing I want to say about these movie posters is the sure thing, the John Cusack Daphne Zuniga movie. That was movie, a bigger film. That was. That was one of the of the teen trash comedies that came out in the eighties. That was one of the popular ones. It was released, Steve, on March first of nineteen eighty five. So nine days or ten days before this episode played or whatever. Twelve days. Twelve days. So at the time we filmed this episode, which was probably on March 5th, according to the production schedule that my wonderful listener Harvey Hall had sent me. It's product placement. Well, product placement or they just ran out of movie posters and said, well, this is coming soon or this is about to open. 
Do you think they probably ran commercials for the sure thing while this episode was going on? Oh, there's some synergy for you. Yeah. That is possible, but I'm not sure anyone, if anyone's got a VHS of the original broadcast, <laughs> if you had $800 have you for ever a... had anyone ever do that? I have not, no. Okay. No. So, okay. Thank you for indulging me. The movie posters, like I said, I will post uh, the images I of mean, those. It doesn't really have much to do with the plot and what happens. No, not at all. But the the idea is it's atmosphere. Yeah, that's that's to and me. So is, so is that sort of turquoise blue green that they use on all the walls. Yeah, and it's it's a kind of a pukey green. It's a like, pukey yeah, color. It's, it's pretty a... gross. Um, so uh, one of the jokes, the payoff of the joke is Tootie Joe and Natalie come into the snack bar. Oh, I love this one. And it's like, where's Blair? And then suddenly there's this moment of, oh shit, she's still in the truck. No. Oh! <laughs> So she she bursts back out, and apparently the owner of the theater helped her out, and he doesn't care. She he didn't charge her. Oh no, she was saying muchas gracias. I assumed oh, okay. it was a uh, it was a, a group. But he of... followed her close in, so I thought it was him. Okay, I, I don't think so. But she's got grease and marks all over her outfit, and she's disheveled now, yes. and remains thus for the rest of the episode. And she actually says to Natalie, "You're driving." Patty Hearst had an easier. <laughs> Patty Hearst had an easier ride. Oh, my God. That was funny. Oh, if you know that reference, I will give you a cigar, ladies and gentlemen. The funny thing is you and I both laughed. We burst out laughing. For those who don't know, Patty Hearst, yes, that is uh, the daughter of... The famous Hearst. William Randolph Hearst. Publisher. Publisher of many, many newspapers and periodicals. And in the 70s, she was kidnapped by a group of domestic terrorists. And taken for a ride. And taken for a ride and basically held prisoner and then... Joined them. Kind of, well, it's one of those Stockholm Syndrome things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I remember in the mid-70s, Chevy Chase did some stories about it on the original Weekend Update that right. first year of Saturday Night Live. So her trial was like the mid-70s. Like, so that's that's going back 10 years. So apparently Blair, when she was eight or nine, was paying attention to those. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. But it's yeah, still the, a funny joke. It's great. It's great. Yeah. But the big question was, uh, when they started to catch up with this terrorist group who were robbing banks and things, caught on security footage was her assisting them. With so, the gun. With the gun and everything. So it's like, okay, so... Did she get kidnapped by them or did she just run off and join them? Is she the victim or is she a criminal? That was the big question going on. In but she trial. describes the kidnapping. And when they first shoved her in the trunk of a car, it was pretty rough ride, apparently. And they yeah. beat her up and everything. And so, yeah. yeah and then they I locked joke. her in a closet, handcuffed, yeah. I think. Did they give her drugs? Did they give her LSD and stuff? I don't know. This is starting to sound like my childhood. So. And... <laughs> So then you did bring up the fact that Mr. Lowell, the owner of the theater, comes in. This is character actor Martin Garner. I don't know if he's related to James Garner. I don't think so. No. He has a very decorated credit. Uh, He has a very nice IMDb page. It's not as long as I would have thought it would be, but it's 57 credits in 36 years, including five appearances as Bernie on Night Court, Five appearances on Barney Miller in five different roles. Wow. Which I love. That's that's a Bernie Coppell situation on yeah, Bewitched. Just, yeah. Um, character actor. A character actor. And he is playing it to the hilt. 
like the stereotypical old Jewish gentleman. I'm just waiting for this place to close so I can be free. Yeah. And Natalie comes in and she's like, I'm so sorry, Mr. Lowell. I'm Natalie. I'm the one who wrote those uh, things in the paper, those editorials. I tried to save the theater, but I guess it didn't work. And I'm so sorry. And she said, this place is so beautiful. It should be preserved. And he's like, it's a dump. I can't wait to get out of here. Yeah. And she's like, but but it's an institution. It's our hangout place. And he goes, ah, and I'm quoting now. Are you kidding? I waited forever for someone to make a move on me. A chain that sells discount clothes made me a lowball offer and I jumped on it. He's like, this could be the inspiration for John Lovitz's Hanukkah Harry. It could be. <laughs> I mean, it is. It, I wish I was doing it broader. I wish well, I was. Well, and he has just this sort of sad sack thing about him going on. Yeah. But, but Horrible, horrible set of teeth. Oh, his teeth are bad. Bad, bad, bad teeth. But he's very funny. His timing is impeccable oh, it is. with the jokes and the punchlines. And and the, honestly, this whole episode is just joke, 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 joke. Yeah, there's a lot of jokes going on here, yes. So, Natalie, here's another beautiful time capsule moment where Natalie says, but what are we supposed to do now with our Saturday nights? And he says, do what everyone else does. Rent a cassette. And I thought right there, right that at the moment, I thought, oh, this is a time capsule episode. We're going to watch this in 35 years I, and be like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, because that's why drive-ins were closing. That's yeah. why movie theaters were kind of downscaling, because in 1985, the home video rental market was really, this was the tipping point. It really was. When I was in high school, I was a, I was a junior in high school at this point, and this is right around the time. Do you remember how much those VHS machines weighed? Like, they weighed a metric ton. We, you could break a toe. You could. We had one of the hoity-toity front-loading ones, not the top-loading ones with the fancy. mechanical thing that would pop up. But our front-loading Panasonic PV1530, do not ask me why I know the fucking model number. <laughs> I feel We like, had a Panasonic, too, but I don't remember the number. I feel we, like it was six... I think it was... Six hundred and something dollars. We I had the top loading katonk one, you know, that yeah. made the terrible noise when you press that button. Mm -hmm. uh. So, yeah, so the home video market, this was huge. And this was, it's so funny because during COVID, one of the big documentaries was the last blockbuster. The fact that, you know, home video rentals has been dying a slow death and is kind of officially gone now with streaming. This was the infancy of that when that was just starting to take off. When I was in college, Steve, between 86 and 90, all I thought I wanted to do really and truly like I was thinking this might be my life goal is I thought I would love to own a small art house movie theater with a video store attached. Didn't you work at a blockbuster? Very briefly, when I first moved to Orlando. Yeah. Yeah, it's not there anymore. So, we've got uh, Tootie flirting with a boy at the snack bar. And while she's flirting with the boy, out of the blue, she says to Natalie, you know, you could call the Historical Society, get this place declared a landmark, and get an injunction so they won't close it down. And the only reason she's doing that is so that she can flirt with the boy. And then the other thing about Tootie is, apparently, we didn't know this, but she's obsessed with Betty Davis. A uh, very, very weird, weird thing that we've never had before of Tootie. Because yet. I want to get to this point. The film that they're showing, that they tell you right oh. from the beginning they're going to show, yes. is Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. And, yeah, uh, that's the last movie they're, they're showing in 1985. 
at a dra- it's like, I don't know why the place is closing down. I show baby Jane every week. All we get is three homosexuals. I mean, like, what, what do you think you're going to get? Their names are David and Stephen and Matthew, who likes to sing like Carol Channing. <laughs> but they show clips of that film, too. They I was do. amazed. I was amazed. I was like, wow, they got rights to that or someone owns it, you know, within the studio or whatever. Yeah, it's it's very surprising when we do actually see clips from the real original and whatever happened to baby Kim, Jane. i would say did you know anything about Betty Davis before this little thingy i mean you might have heard her name but could you have named three films by her Be- betty davis yeah In ask 19- him field ask him field oh, ask him fields yeah i yeah this whole thing of tootie is the actress so it's the i'm obsessed with betty davis and i've never seen sudden. this all of a sudden and i've never seen this film before so i'm so excited to see it well, spoiler alert, the film keeps breaking and Tootie is convinced that the universe is conspiring to prevent her from seeing this film. So in the middle of all this pleasant joking is they're showing scenes from, from whatever happened to Baby Jane, like the dead rat. <laughs> I mean, it's like, wow, this is taking a turn for the dark. I mean... And, and there's the moment where later on, one of the transitional scenes is uh, the scene where Betty Davis is like, Blanche, we could go to the beach. That's where Daddy used to love to watch me dance. Oh, Blanche, we could go to the beach. And it cuts to a close-up of Joan Crawford in shadows. She's half dead. She is tied up to the bed. And there's a laugh. The audience laughs. Yeah, well, because it's weird. Well, and I think it's because they're laughing at what Nancy McKeon is doing live and in person i think it might have been an editing uh, uh, a little editing maybe. oops well you know the other one is they <laughs> do this one really quick cutaway of betty davis looking creeping up and looking through the window at the neighbors and then like cutting yeah. that's it that's all they show that, and then they that's how they it. go to commercial yeah yeah it's yeah they go to commercial and it's just betty's eyes coming into the frame looking around and then ducking out of the frame but it's to, magnificently to sort of gothic horror film in a way yeah it's yeah oh yeah it's suspense and from the 60s uh, yeah 1962 yeah and (laughs) it's it's such a weird 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 choice it is and you know but it's like gee you know why is it shutting down after 30 years it could be your programming (laughs) (laughs) so then when tootie drops this thing about having an injunction and a petition historical society and all with the historical society she does say my parents did it once with an old schoolhouse. Well, that does track Steve because Tootie's parents are both lawyers. Really? So that actually was a moment where I went, oh my God, they, I believe they her. They did something consistent on this show? I knew. It's crazy. So uh, Natalie suddenly has a purpose. She and a is clipboard. Going, huh? And a clipboard. And a clipboard that we do not know where she acquired it. Uh, so Natalie is now trying to get 500 signatures after a phone call to the Historical Society on a Saturday night because they would totally right. be open and taking And the phone proper calls. paperwork. I don't know if you noticed that, but they were getting addresses and names and all that. So, yeah, I was like... Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like, wow. We, we pulled some shit together very quickly for a Saturday night. All I know is I know now on a Saturday night in I 20- know who I'm going to call. Oh, Natalie, thank you for calling us. We were just about to sit down to a cassette. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> what are you watching? Whatever happened to Baby Jane? God! Ah! <laughs> Rage! Uh, so, um, that is now Natalie's mission. 
And then Tootie's thing is she is flirting with this boy. And then later we do see them like she's made a connection, like they were looking. And then later the the TV sitcom trope of walking, uh, a woman walking with one arm through a gentleman's elbow. Yeah, like that, it's 1926 and they're about to sing Buffalo Bill. Won't you come out tonight? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. It's, it is so weird, especially... It would be one thing to have Mrs. Garrett do that. When she, yeah, someone's going to break a hip, right? Yeah, you yes. need to hang on to your partner because yes. you might fall. But it's like teenagers in 1985 walking arm in arm like Wait a second, let me put my gloves on first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, I don't know where my chaperone went. <laughs> Could you help me get into the lorry? Tootie does say to the boy, so do you come here often? He says, oh, I'm here every single Saturday night. And then Tootie, still smiling, speaking through her smile, turns around and goes, you have got to save this place. This place that they say that they go to every Saturday night, and yet she's never run into the boy. Thank you. Thank you. Annie Hoozle. They're wearing a lot of makeup, by the way. Oh, yeah. Oh, the girls? Yeah, they're wearing a lot. Not as bad as season two, though. Really? Not as bad. In in season two, it was bad. They look a little bit like white snake hooers here. (laughs) They do with the hair and the makeup. With All thing. they need is less clothing, and then they'd be in a they'd be in a white snake video <laughs> writhing on a car with wow. sparks and you know wow. electric guitars. So the Blair and Joe thing is Joe is showing Blair the ropes, uh, not of lesbianism, of the snack bar. Yeah, some of it is cut from syndication. It's a little bit longer and more detailed and it is not really missed it's highly extractable is snack bar like a euphemism for cunnilingus uh, in joe's world i think okay. it is yeah, yeah. so then it becomes apparent that that people are taking things and uh both joe and natalie take note of this and they're like well shit this is because people's closing down people are saying they need it they want to take mementos and souvenirs and mr lowell doesn't says, mind. He's like, I don't care. Let him take it. It's going to be a pancake tomorrow after the bulldozers are here. Yeah. So Joe suddenly gets this bug in her ass that she has to have a memento of her own. So then the rest of Joe's arc is, well, maybe I could take this uh, stanchion, the, the, rope the rope from the stanchion. Yeah. Well, maybe I could take and move the stool off the ground. I happen a to be... Stool. Uh, a full stool. She's going to put it into the Volkswagen Beetle with the three other adult women. Right. Uh, so, But it's like, uh, and she's walking around with a wrench, you know, because Joe's always got a wrench handy. It's just bizarre. And it's it doesn't fantastic. really track. And that's not very Joe, but whatever. So then Blair cuts the line for the ladies room. And it invokes the wrath of this young girl standing in line. Sandra. Sandra, who just basically is like, whoa, what is she doing? And she's doing the full New Yorker. And she she becomes a very important piece of the plot of this episode. Yeah, plot. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm making air quotes with that. Steve, did you recognize the actress who plays Sandra? No. Should I? Probably you won't recognize her by face, but when I say her name... Moon Unit Zappa. Is it Moon Unit Zappa? That is Frank Zappa's daughter, Moon Unit. Wow, punk rock girl, Moon Moon Unit Zappa. And she is awesome. Yeah. 
Uh, you know, with her scar, I should have noticed that. She has that little scar on her chin. Does she? Right here. Oh, I didn't notice. Yeah. Yeah. I should have noticed that. Her and her brother, Dweezil. Yeah. That was all the thing in the 80s was that was that Frank Zappa had kids named Dweezil and Moon Unit. It's like... And Dweezil was hot. Uh, yes. Totally. But she is great. She gives an amazing performance as this tough chick. She goes right after Blair in the ladies' room. And next thing we know, Blair is coming out with her coat on backwards and tied behind her like a straight jacket. Yeah, like, and here's the thing that I don't get. Knowing Joe and knowing that she said she would, like, take care of her and show her the ropes, why isn't Joe stepping in and decking this girl? Thank you. All Blair needed was Joe's protection. And just Joe, once. Yeah. Joe would have just been like, hey, how'd you like to be mopping the floor with your teeth? Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah, that's that's an unfortunate thing where Blair spends the rest of the episode worried that this girl is going to make good on if I see you again, I'm going to lay you out. Oh, oh, she says, the girl threatened to punch out my porch light if I didn't leave town. And Blair says to Joe, exactly where is my porch light? Another lesbian comment. And Joe is like, um, I'll show you later, Blair. In the tight back seat of the VW. <laughs> <laughs> so then, yeah, the only other thing that happens plot-wise before we go Thank to... Thank God it happens, too, because it was just going to move there and just kind of keep joke, joke, moving around the snack bar. Yes, we needed for something to happen. And what is the something that happens? Mrs. Garrett's car gets stolen. Bingo. And on that note, we go to commercial. And it's like, okay, uh, there's a cliffhanger. And now we're interested after we see Betty Davis's eyes. Yeah. When did Betty Davis' eyes come out? Oh, Kim Carnes, about the same time. Echo, when did Kim Carnes' Betty Davis' eyes get released? 1981. Oh. So much earlier. Much earlier. I thought it was later than Me that. Me too. I, well, I thought it was like 83. I, I was going to say, yeah, I would have guessed that too. I Because because uh, the video had all, and the cover had all that Memphis style stuff and memphis style didn't really kick in till 82 83 so yeah oh i thought we had found the reason why the the betty davis obsession and why this film but nope that doesn't track that's too old though uh, patty hurst reference from 1975 who's to say that the the writers patty have betty davis eyes did i think um patty had patty hurst eyes did she yeah so um with that we go to commercial and uh, before we plow on, typically with a return guest, Steve, I don't really go much into your life or your career. We've already covered that shit when you were here before. But it occurred to me, you are from the Midwest. I think you did drop a little uh, hint there that yes. as someone from the Midwest, a.k.a. Iowa, you did grow up with a lot of drive-in theaters. Not a ton, but enough. Keokuk, Iowa, and it's the last time I've been to a drive-in, actually. And they were showing a double bill. And in 1990, that double bill was Dick Tracy and Arachnophobia. Oh, wow. That's and, a good bill. And we turned our car around so that we could open up the trunk so that you could sit kind of... It was a hatchback. Sit in the uh, Danelle Sweezer's hatchback. And, uh, <laughs> and we sat on the ground and had blankets and stuff and listened to the whole things. Deborah Sills was just 
a co-worker and she was freaked out by spiders like you would not believe uh. and i remember during arachnophobia i did this thing where i picked up a little pebble and i lobbed it up behind me and it rolled down her back mm-hmm. and it rolled down her back and she just screamed oh, bloody no. murder <laughs> and everyone else in the movie or in the uh, drive-in laughed because it really wasn't that scary of a moment <laughs> And it was just hysterical. And we probably went and saw that double bill probably three times. Oh, my God. And still to this day, I'd watch either of those films. Oh, and yeah. They're not perfect films. I would still watch either of those films. Oh, yeah, totally. Totally. Well, my drive-in experience, I really didn't go to them very often. And when I did, it was when I was fairly young. And I remember seeing the ads for the Skyview Drive-In on South Main Street in Brockton, Mass., my hometown. And I remember it was, oh, by the way, smuggling Blair in the car, in the trunk. I believe the Skyview was always $5 a car load. Like, they weren't fucking with how many people. It was just load up your car, pay one price. Yeah, we didn't quite have that. We didn't. I don't think we snuck anyone in. Yeah, but um, it was the Skyview drive-in. I did look up and find some pictures of it. Obviously, it's not there anymore. It looks like, according to uh, Google Earth where you can go back and see older satellite photos. It looks like it was still there in 2003, even though it had been closed for a long time. And now it is a 55-plus housing community, and the road that leads to it off of the main drag is called Skyview Drive. Wow, because the one that we went to in Keokuk so much was called the Skylark. Oh, the Skylark! Because sky, because you look up at it, you know, like the sky. Yes, and it's a lark to go to the theater. It is. (laughs) Well, when you're from Iowa. Um, And and when we moved to Orlando, I moved here in 92, you moved here in 93. There were still some vestiges. North of here, north of here on the way to Mount Dora, wasn't there one? There's there's one, um, there was one in Rosemont. Yeah. And there was one in Winter Garden. And it was still there until like 10 years ago. I the Rosemont say... one closed around like 95, 96, it seems. Yeah. But yeah, there were drive-ins and I, I'm so sad that I didn't go to them more because they were dying through our teen years and, and they didn't show new movies. They were second run, weren't right, they? Right, right. But I don't know. Putting that speaker on your car and it was bad sound Oof. and just... Yeah, yeah it, it sounded like a phone, like literally yeah, listening that... to a movie through a phone. Right. Yeah, it was bad. Look, there are spiders in the world. It's like... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I think we like this episode because the of the many slices of life, uh, historical points and time that it hits upon, this is also our youth and our time. Yeah, and we, we this saw is, this happen. Yeah, this is something that we watched die in our lifetime. And it is funny, like you said, that it's, you know, now thanks to COVID, look what's back. Well, and there was a small bit of, hey, we're firing these things back up. I bet you there are some movie theaters that fired back up because of COVID. Some drive-ins. I I would love to find out. That would be interesting. So this little bit at the beginning is cut from syndication, and it's the girls reeling from being told that the car is stolen. Uh, Tootie and Natalie come back in from having searched the back rows. And there's a sex joke where if you watch the online version, you didn't hear this. You and I did. Natalie says, we searched the back rows and the car's not there. Tootie says, I searched the back rows. You got signatures. And Natalie's like, hey, I'm a woman with a mission or something. And Tootie says, you interrupted that couple. They were involved. 
And Natalie's response is, you should thank me. If this place closes, they'll be doing that in public. That's a fucking joke, ladies and gentlemen. It is, it is. And, and apparently drive throughs aren't public. Drive-ins aren't public. Yeah, apparently not. <laughs> so then uh, with the typical, I can't believe someone just stole our car like that. Natalie says, well, you know, car thieves can steal a car in 60 seconds, even faster if the keys are in it. And then she kind of does a face and it comes out that Natalie left the keys in the car. Anyway. So when we come back from this uh, clip, we when we come back from commercial in the syndicated version, we just have Blair already on the phone talking to the police about sending cops over because the car's been stolen. Right. And Blair also is like, and we need our car because I got to get out of here because I got this bitch who's threatened to beat me up if she sees me here again. Moon unit. Moon unit. <laughs> to the moon unit, Alice. So Tootie comes in again from the theater side of the snack bar, complaining that the film has broken again. The film broke earlier. I don't know if we said that. The film yeah. broke, which is what brought us back to the snack bar. And then she point. asks Joe to fix it because Joe can fix anything. And Joe's like, they have people for that. And there's just this one point where this guy comes through the double doors with the film wrapped around his neck, holding two reels, saying, does anyone have scotch tape? <laughs> and you and I both know this because the few times that we had to watch film on film yeah yeah you had to fix it with scotch tape if if that's what you needed to do in the classroom to get that film showing yeah 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 actual splicing tapes used in film they're made of you know i think a little bit better quality material but yeah it's just like scotch tape with sprockets the little cutters and everything yeah so this young actor who has this one line and it's very funny him coming out with the film reels and the film wrapped around him the actor's name is evan arnold and he's very young here. He's like younger than the girls. And I think he still has braces and everything. Well, guess what? He's still working today. He would go on to several recurring roles. You know how I'll say, oh, this actor went on and has a fuck ton of one-offs? Right. He has had recurring roles over multiple episodes of Growing Pains, Just the Ten of Us, The West Wing, Suburgatory, Masters of Sex, Lucifer... And Veep. Who was he in Veep? One of the reporters in the press room. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is he the is he the redheaded reporter? Um, he's balding. Okay. I don't know if he's redheaded per se. Yeah. But I don't think it's a very prominent role. But he's oh. just one of the because you know you have the same people there, and all that. And uh, I do need to take a second and say just the ten of us. That show has so many connections to Facts of Life. So many cast members shared. The casting person had to somehow be connected with both shows. There's no way for how many overlaps there are with just the 10 of us. For how short that show ran. So Blair is on the phone trying to get a cab. Can't get a cab for two hours. Or or a police officer for two hours. And mm. Moon Unit's going to kill her. Yeah. Tootie and Natalie check in with a petition. And people are signing it. But Sandra. they're but they're putting cartoon characters' names. And they're Mr. T. Mr. T and Mussolini. And Disney characters. And, and uh, yeah. So then Blair on the phone has another run-in with Sandra. And at this point, Sandra threatens her again. Blair tries to make friends with her. Blair tries to pretend that she has a football player linebackers with her. Joe is nowhere to be found to defend right. her girlfriend. God yeah. damn it, Joe. 
She's probably in the restroom. <laughs> she's probably uh, trying to pry up a stool, if you yeah, know what I'm talking yeah, about. She's probably in the snack bar. <laughs> so, um, Natalie does uh, try to get a signature from a guy and catches him taking a, a clock from the snack bar. It's a clock that has a pizza on the face of it. This does come back later. The one I didn't get is where she stops and she gives a really good impassioned speech to this couple and they say, I'm sorry, we're from Oregon. Why is that a joke? I think it's because if you want to have a petition for that No, type I get of... that, but why, why waste all that time right there, that moment? Like, I... It's like, it's like 30, 40 seconds in the payoffs is, I'm sorry, we're from Oregon. Yeah, so we can't sign the petition. I'm just going to use that just randomly from now yeah. on. If anything could have been cut from the syndicated exactly. version. Exactly. That don't, could have been. Don't cut out the fucking joke. Cut out Oregon. <laughs> True. Um, so, so if a Jehovah Witness comes to my door or, you know, truly Nolan or whatever, I'm just going to say, I'm sorry, I'm from Oregon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that does it every time. Uh, so finally, two cops do show up. And uh, the two cops, only one of them has a speaking role. The other one is just there, and he doesn't even have a credit. He's an extra. No, he just shrugs. He just shrugs. And uh, the cop who does the talking, though, is actor Michael Milhone. We have talked about Michael Milhone before because nine weeks ago, he played the opposite of a cop. He played a prison inmate in the Christmas episode. It's amazing how they can turn their lives around like that. It's, it's amazing. It's part of one of those uh, Head Start programs yeah. that the Democrats... Anti-recidivism is just wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so he went from being a prison inmate uh, in Christmas in the Big House uh, to being an actual cop here. And Blair is hanging all over him. Get me out of here. Creepy as hell. Creepy as hell. And then he says, like, lady, would you get off of me? And then she starts clinging to Joe when Joe finally shows up. And it's like, if you and don't... Joe's wanna... not even excited about it. I mean, you'd think. You'd think. And it's like, Blair, if you really don't want to be there, you know you could start walking, even though you have heels on. But Did you notice how she came down the stairs at the beginning of the episode? It was like super careful in those heels. Yeah. Her hand was on the wall. Like mm -hmm. she was walking down those stairs in heels. Yeah. It's, I, I just don't get it. It's like, Blair, you have the power to leave. To walk a bit, find a convenience store or a gas station and try to call for a cab there. Why are there no cabs available? That's weird too. One of the jokes being, well, the, the cab driver can't come pick you up. Why? He already saw the movie. <laughs> so I think it's a little bit fun. Yeah. Um, so as soon as the cops say, we can give you girls a lift home. Okay, good. Thank God. Very quickly, it's like, oh, well, sorry. We got a 211. We need to run. We'll loop back and get you after. What is a 211, Steve Miller? Uh, half of a 422. <laughs> <laughs> so pot smoking a half a doobie oh there it is one atom 12 one atom 12 211 in progress is it a, it's a robbery then it is a robbery correct yes and uh, that's how every episode of adam 12 started yeah, if you're it, old it, it all starts with a wobbly i was a little kid watching adam 12 oh yeah that was reruns in, that was in reruns that was in reruns in the 70s yeah that was an old show Ooh, yeah. i had the hots for them they were they were attractive yes so in the next bit, we go to the movie again and we come back. Now Natalie is actually putting fake names herself on her petition. And Tootie is like, what are you doing? You can't write fake names 
on a petition. And Natalie says, uh, you know, I'll just make fake ones now and I'll fill them in with real ones later. I just don't have the because time. Because on a Saturday night, she's going to stop this place from being torn down on a Sunday morning. Uh, Thank you. And it's going to be torn down on a Sunday morning, as opposed to we're just going to close and then the bulldozers will show up in a week or so. It's like the the urgency is kind of weird. In response to that, Natalie says, what's in a name? And Tootie responds, five to nine, Nat. Which is hilariously funny. And that does track because, as I've said before, Natalie is very ethically in the gray zone throughout the entire series and she, okay because okay so this does this whole thing of i'm on a mission i've got to get this petition done i'm on a petition mission and uh, i'm going to do whatever the fuck i have to do i love that she has a purpose but that she wants to do it through unethical channels that does kind of track that's kind of natalie really yeah in in I love it because it's at least it's consistent. It's consistent, but I hate it because it's like no, Natalie, be a better person. So Blair ends up behind the counter of the snack bar, and Sandra finds her, and then we do have a chase and a fight happen. And this fight is kind of awesome, wouldn't you say? It's well done. Where Sandra chases Blair around, she does. Uh, instead of punching her or pushing her or pulling her hair, she dumps about an inch of popcorn in a popcorn bucket on her head and then puts the bucket on like a hat. Okay, so Blair f- blows little uh, straw strings at her and then she does the popcorn thing and then Blair squirts her with mustard and ketchup. Yes. And then she comes after her, but Blair grabs a nearby a mop, mop and spins and just Dex poor moon unit. And decks her and knocks her out. And it's kind of awesome. And Lisa Welchel, God bless her. Comedy genius. Well, I mean, they're all they all have their their comedy and their timing and their acting down. I mean, yeah. they by this time they do. It, that's, yeah. I was like, wow, thank God this isn't the second season where you still see Natalie kind of snickering at her own jokes. Yeah. Um But they say, What just happened? And then Joe comes back and it's like, I think Blair just decked that girl. And they're like, did you do that, Blair? And then Joe says, I've never been so hot for you, Blair. (laughs) I'm damper than that mop you got in your hand. (laughs) Uh, And then Blair, who is kind of stunned, like it was one of those, she was just flying blind and it happened to connect and work. And Blair has this great moment of, well, uh, yeah. Well, and what 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 it is is it's, it's the absolute confusion before she goes. Wait a second, this girl's on the ground, and I did deck her. There's this point where she moves from what the hell just happened, yeah, to hey, I'm, I'm a fucking badass. Yeah, I'm tough. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a very funny moment. It was no, it was great, and Lisa plays it beautifully. So now she's got her confidence and. Uh, a, a guy sort of walks near Tootie like he might be approaching her. And she's like, is that guy bothering you, Tootie? And the dude's like, whoa, fuck, I'm, I'm leaving. Get out <laughs> I'm <of here."> out. <laughs> so uh, it's really kind of fun. So then we have the Baby Jane clip. And now we cut back to the final scene in the snack bar. Joe is still trying to steal something, but she does have a moment with Natalie where she says, Natalie, you got to let this go. This place is going away because nobody wants it. They'd rather neck on the sofa in front of 35 channels. Ooh, 35 channels. 
Cable TV people. That 1981, was 82. We started infancy. getting it in Creston, Iowa. Yeah. We had four channels, including PBS. Up until I was about 11, yeah. Yeah, and then Fox TV happened in 87. Fox still wasn't there. So as of this point, there are only four main network channels, if you include PBS. And cable TV was just starting to happen. The the TBS Superstation and But w- by 85, I'm so deep into MTV that MTV existed. Oh, God, yeah. MTV I'm, was uh, huge. Huge into 120 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's absolutely right. So another beautiful snapshot time, time capsule, capsule moment of another reason why drive-ins were dying because the way we consumed entertainment was changing so quickly and drastically. And 35 channels, I'm sure there was somebody out there that went, 35 channels, it's too much. Cut to oh, yeah. 2021. Yeah, 100 and whatever. <laughs> We're like... <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> so... Um, I don't the... trust this shit. Let me switch over to the parkour channel. You know, <laughs> great. Yep. Everything's oh, so much better now. What are you watching? Um, I think it's the Fanta Network. Yeah, it's all a soda-based programming. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so the cops do come back. And Joe's trying to sneak that stool out, and she goes, oh, I'm going to get caught. So she just sits on it. (laughs) She stops and just sits on it like it's in the middle of the room. (laughs) And then uh, the cops are like, okay, we're ready to take you home. And Tootie says, this sucks. Just when I'm entering the male-female phase of drive-in going, they tear it down. (sighs) Officer, take me home. So that's... That's all it took. You didn't want to watch the Betty Davis film and uh, you didn't want to pick up the guy. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird, but okay, they needed a reason to get Tootie there. And this is kind of like they all need an exit line because we're at the end of the show. Yeah. So that's Tootie's exit line. Blair's exit line, still acting tough after her victory over Sandra, says to the cops, so uh, I hear you take women on the force nowadays. Like, well, I happen to be a fucking badass. Right. They just started putting Cagney and Lacey on television. (laughs) So Joe has her moment with the stool and she ends up saying to the cop, yeah, wow, they they should really nail these down. You know, people could get hurt and sue or something. That's a nice gun. Bye. And off she goes. Well, and then Arthur Florett, the owner of the Lowell, Mr. Lowell. He says, Natalie, you know, I know this guy was trying to steal the pizza clock, but I'm going to give it to you. Yeah. And it's... he doesn't call her Natalie. He says, hey, you, edit a person. He calls her <laughs> edit a person. person. <laughs> he says the clock is a couple slices slow. It's a couple slices slow. The pizza clock. And so I want you to have this. That was a very sweet little gesture, him to give that to her. And then Natalie does say, I feel like we came so close. If only I tried a little harder. If only I had a little more time. And the final line of the episode is him, is Mr. Lowell saying, do yourself a favor. Go home and run for the Senate. And she nods, starts to leave, stops, looks back, and they share another final glance. And then she leaves. And then a sign half falls off the wall. Yeah. Then the audience applauds, and the final image is zooming in on the snack bar where you can see the blue Dell drive-in logo and the sign that says drinks. Yeah, drinks. And just as they zoom in and get to this sort of final shot, 
the drink sign falls almost knocks over some of the cups too it was right. timed beautifully mm-hmm. and and that's the end of the episode and uh yeah overall the slices of life the points in history the historical record of this and, and episode the fact that they hung so many jokes on it they just literally it was just joke 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 because it was joke. a flimsy sort of yeah it was not a it was it wasn't a very plot driven episode which is fine you can have episodes like this if you don't want a lot of plot uh i'm gonna go a little crazier here with my overall thoughts about the episode steve you are a playwright and a writer what is one of the first things you think about when you are writing a character not unlike the first thing i would think about when i start to play a character Okay, I'm probably not going to give you the answer you're looking for. I look for the question or the thing that they're exploring or the thing that they're conflicted about. Okay. I'm going to say that is mostly the answer I was looking for. The simpler version is, what do they want? What do they want? Yeah. What does the character want? That's the first thing an actor asks himself. But if they want something and they get it too easy, there's really nothing. Right. Or maybe they want something, they get it too easy, and then they find out that's not what they want. Funny you bring that up, Steve. Because... Let us now review. What did all of the girls want in this episode? Tootie wanted to see the movie. She and, didn't. And she didn't get to see the movie. And then she decided she wanted to pick up a boy. And that and she had... didn't get to do that. They couldn't have had a single line as she exited with that boy. At one point, she's like, we have to keep this place open. I haven't gotten that guy's phone number yet. What would have happened if the guy walked up to her and said... This is going to be weird not being able to come here Saturday nights and having Tootie say, I can't believe we didn't get to see Baby Jane. Well, we could rent it from the video store. Maybe get together and watch it. Tootie could have gotten the boy and the ability to see the movie. Right. But that did not happen. Blair, Blair got her experience. She really did get her experience. Yes, she did. And Blair, you could argue. Learned something. This is Blair's hero's journey, Steve. It is. Blair went wanting one thing found something different in the way of the obstacles and in the end did not necessarily get what she thought she set out for but she learned something about herself yeah and walked away even better than when she started joe fails left and right joe epic failure 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 the only thing that could have maybe helped joe is natalie's last moment with that clock is natalie could have handed the clock to joe it's like, oh, you didn't have to steal it. You want a memento? You got it. It was handed to us. Right. Almost makes it more special, if it you does. think of it. It does. So it would have been nice. And it if... would have been cooler if Joe had said earlier, you know, uh, well, you know, I can't get to that clock, so I'll try the stool. Yeah. Like if she'd really said that what she really wanted was the clock. Yeah. Uh, yeah, true. She could have even said that. Yeah. Um, and then Natalie. Natalie's thing. Natalie's the tragedy of Natalie is why does she want the movie theater to stay open? Well, Natalie, supposedly it's because it's a record of her own youth and romance. Like this is where she had her first kiss. That's supposedly the driving force of Natalie's want, but it's fighting a losing battle. It would have been interesting to have, if we're going to wrap up all of these a little bit more neatly, she does come to the understanding that she can't save it. And why couldn't Mr. Lowell have just said to her, look, I spent 30 years here. He's wanted to leave right from the get-go. He doesn't want her to save the theater. So if he could have said, I spent 30 years here, 
And I have tons of memories, beautiful times. Some of the happiest times of my life were here. But life moves on. The theater may be gone, but I still have my memories. And it would have been nice if he would have said, you're a writer, write it down. That would have been a better end. Oh, my God. You want the theater to be remembered? Keep writing about it. Exactly. Let's get together. I'll tell you all the stories. Exactly. We can do a history of it, a retrospective. Oh, my God, Steve. Genius. I mean, because she was writing from the beginning. Yeah, that Natalie's the writer. That's yes. that's her. That is that's her, her thing. Her super. So the Senate joke is stupid. Yeah, the the ending line about running for the Senate. It's not a laugh line. You feel like he could have, should have said something. No, and if they're shooting for nostalgia, say write it down. Yeah, and Facts of Life has so gone the sentimental, not funny, dramatic think moments at I'll the say, end of the show. So you agree with me? This isn't the worst episode ever, but it is. It's just a kind of a bit of a throwaway yeah it's a good bottle episode and it's a good record of its time and it's a good stepping stone as the show continues to transform itself and look forward to how are we going to be a show about young women and not a show about schoolgirls. right and if i you know ever watch this episode again it would be this is a time capsule of not just movie theaters and things that people are going through, but also of what these sitcoms were like. Yeah. Yeah. That that too. That too. So, um, yeah, with my notes for the writers about they could have wrapped up all three of you writers, I will add. Yeah, exactly. That's why I was amazed. Um, amongst <laughs> the three of you, we could One have... One of you ends up being an Oscar winner, and we're still wondering why. Yeah. You could have maybe said, wait a minute, when they walk out, off the set when they walk out of this episode where are they compared to where they started because they all approached it wanting something and we could have we could have given them that and and they could have given us that as as audience members too and it would have been sweeter to say you know yeah and and again play up the nostalgia of the episode taking a stance that this is something we're losing but it's also a part of evolution in history yeah so, on this note, we have gone through quite a, a fun little trip down memory lane of our long, long lost youth. And uh, I, I think it was fun. Yeah, in the episodes, this was certainly not the worst. It had a lot going on. I just always want better for it and uh, better for the writing. But uh, in the end, I'm glad. That's what your mom said about you, so we're good. <laughs> I, was I always starting... wanted better. I, I'm... I'm... I was starting to say I'm glad we watched this episode together, <laughs> but um, I'm I'm rethinking that, uh-huh. and I will continue to rethink that as I say thank you, Steve Miller, for being here. How sincere. Thank you, Steve, for doing this. I'm glad we got to do this together because because uh, of us being the same age of our, our history, our friendship, and all that stuff, and... Uh, I, I don't care what all of our mutual friends and people and your family members say about you. I really like you, and I'm glad that you were here. Thanks. And there you have it. That was Stephen Miller, my best friend. He's He's still in the room, so I can't say too much. Thanks for having me. He's He's looking at me. Next week, I'm going to be watching Season 6, Episode 23, called Sisters. 
Sing with me, Steve. Sisters, sisters, there were never such devoted sisters. Never had to have a chaperone. Okay, okay, we'll work on it. We'll work on it. Uh, you can watch the episode for free at dailymotion.com. I will post the link in the show notes and on this episode's webpage. That bit you just heard is a bit we have been doing for 20 years. Bad Harmonies is one of the foundations of why we love each other. 28 years. 20 something. Too too many. Too many. To, to count. To count. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's all for now. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by me, David Almeida. My theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Visit my website, facethefactspod.com, for supplemental photos and videos, audio extras from the digital cutting room floor, links to my social media, and ways that you can support the show financially. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever fine podcasts are found. Tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts.